I think there are going to be a lot of people trying to open a lot of locations with big backers. And then I think the smaller businesses are going to be struggling a little bit. Coffee and the history of New York City are very related to each other. There was one point of our time where we just turn on our Instagram account and see like every single coffee shop that we know are hiring, are looking for people. And every single baristas that we know are like working crazy hours. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. I can remember the first time I visited New York City as a youngster. I was totally amazed by the scale and energy of the city, but also by the sheer volume of coffee consumed everywhere in the city that never sleeps. We're discussing New York City today because NYC represents the past, presence and future of the retail end of specialty coffee like no other city can. So what's happening right now on the streets of Manhattan? Where are the big opportunities? And where is the specialty coffee market heading? We're speaking to the founders of two iconic New York specialty coffee chains, Cafe Grumpy and Coffee Project New York. But we want to start with a look into New York's coffee drinking past by speaking with Eva Meister, author of a great book, New York City Coffee, A Caffeinated History. Ever started their coffee career as a barista in New York while studying journalism. They then moved on to wholesale account management, green coffee sales, and today works full-time in education, communication, and marketing. So let's set the context for New York's specialty coffee movement today by exploring where it all began. Welcome, Ever. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here myself. Now, you wrote a book, New York City, A Caffeinated History, Why New York City for you? Wow. Well, New York City is such an interesting place. And it happened to be the place that I called home for nearly 13 years. And it was such a time and such a place to get involved very heavily in specialty coffee. I moved into the city just before 2004. And right around that time was when you started to see this wave of coffee shops, like these really cool coffee shops that were doing art on top of lattes, you know, were opening up and it was prime sex in the city time. There was this energy of being out and about in New York and drinking coffee and staying up too late and sort of living that lifestyle, none of which I did. (laughs) (laughs) But I liked to be around it. Um, I, I really liked the energy of working in coffee shops. And I feel like my first few years in New York as a barista. And I love New York City and I love the coffee scene there. And one of the things that I love the most about it is that, like, what does that even mean, coffee in New York? You can go get coffee from an Italian coffee shop. You can go up to Turtle Bay and get coffee from a Turkish coffee shop. You can get Melbourne-style coffee all over the city these days. You know, when you think about New York City coffee, what does that really mean? It means a little bit of everything. When does coffee in New York City start and ultimately to where it is in sort of modern day? I wonder if you walk us through that. Coffee and the history of New York City are very related to each other. I wanted to look at the four primary stops on the supply chain that people think about and explore how each one of them has roots in New York. For green coffee, obviously it was the center of the coffee trade. 
throughout the 18th century and into the 19th century, it was where the majority of ships would dock. And so you had this whole waterfront area of people running around from door to door with trays of green coffee, trying to sell them to the highest bidder. Uh, A whole neighborhood that was called the Coffee District downtown, where they say that, you know, the smell of roasting coffee just wafted through the air. And then, you know, you sort of see the development of the first futures market in the United States for coffee that eventually became the Coffee and Cocoa Exchange and then was part of the New York Stock Exchange and then now is part of the ICE. You know, couldn't have happened unless the major marketplace for New York for coffee was in New York. And then when you move into roasting, the earliest days, like everywhere else, Coffee roasting was mostly done domestically. It was the woman of the household's job to roast the coffee if they could afford it. It was really not something that was industrialized until quite later. But the invention of the first modern coffee roaster was done in the 1800s by Jabez Burns in New York. And that's that sort of rotating drum roaster that we're familiar with now with a trier that you could use to remove some of the coffee so that you could actually see its development. And it made it a lot safer to roast coffee on the large scale. And that really transformed the ways that the roasting industry developed. And that that happened in New York. And then, you know, in terms of the coffee shop, the person that I fell the most in love with, I think, was this woman named Alice Foote McDougall, who in a lot of ways created the sort of environment that we recognize as the coffee shop. She started with a little storefront in Grand Central Terminal where she sold bags of coffee. And then that it really wasn't selling. And she tells the story about how there's one of these big spring storms where the wind is coming at you from all directions and the rain is coming at you from all directions. And she she had someone run to her house and get a waffle iron. And she started brewing coffee and selling waffles and it took off. She was suddenly so successful. She ended up opening a string of coffee shops, each one of which was designed to look like a portico or a patio in Seville, you know, these these indoor-outdoor experiences where she would serve coffee and some questionable food like banana mayonnaise sandwiches, which I don't think is going to make a comeback anytime soon. (laughs) Although you never know. That rich history of coffee shops, and that, I guess, leads to the drinking of coffee in New York, the who and the how there. What did you find and what what does your, your book talk about relating to that? It is hard for us to remember how we've come to be a coffee-drinking society. And it's interesting in New York because you can see a lot of different immigrant influence on the way that people interact with coffee or the way that it became so ubiquitous over time. It was really interesting to read about, say, the, the German and Austrian history of having coffee and a, and a pastry or a treat and sort of sitting and gathering community members and how that was so important. And for the, the large Greek immigrant population, it was very much a way to invest in a community and folks would build restaurants and networks of restaurants and vendors and suppliers who would then help support people who were coming over from Greece to the United States and immigrate and that created these huge social and political networks of folks who supported one another. Then you have the Italian immigrant communities who, you know, built these 
cafes and espresso bars that replicated the experience they had at home. That became very appealing to Americans from other types of cultures who started to experience these things for the first time. The ways that people wrote about cappuccinos and lattes in the early days, I remember finding some very early descriptions of them and how baffled people were by these drinks. Like, you know, the coffee is so hot (laughs) and the milk is so frothy, you know, these descriptions that sound so absurd to us now, but it was a novel idea. You know, everyone in, in New York City drinks coffee and it's both universal and it's very personal. Everyone has their own idea of what that coffee should taste like and what it means to them. And then into the into the the so, so, sort of the more specialty mm. side of the market. What do you think that has brought to the city? You know, just we had all these rules. It was a culture of barista ego and coffee ego that was really shared. I think among a lot of businesses at that time, but we all seemed to really evolve in a relatively short period of time. It feels like walking into a coffee shop in New York is like a caffeinated hug at this point. It's very different that it really went from being all about the coffee to being like, yeah, coffee is great and it's important, but it's not, it's not everything. It's not all of why we're here today. So what you're saying is coffee in New York has now grown up. I think so. It's now open, mature, embracing. <laughs> it's getting there. There's some cracks in that hard shell. (laughs) Great. Eva Meister, thanks for being with us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you so much. It's fascinating to hear how New York's history is intimately bound with coffee. And I would argue that there is no better city on earth that can act as a bellwether for where the coffee world is today and where it's heading. To that end, we're now going to hear from Chai Sam Nyai and Kalina Tio co-founders of Coffee Project New York, a community-focused coffee business. Their story began when they quit their desk jobs to open a cafe in the East Village. Today, Coffee Project New York numbers four cafe locations, downtown Brooklyn, Long Island City, Chelsea, the original East Village Cafe, plus a roastery. On top of this, they're the only SCA-certified premier trading campus in the state of New York. Welcome. Thank you, Jeff. If we could step back a bit and just think about coffee in New York City right now, where is the market at? When we first started like five, six years ago, we have less people who would ask the question, you know, where is this coffee from? What is the processing? People didn't care that much back then, or they probably weren't exposed to that sort of information back then. But nowadays we realize that there are more people who care about where the coffee is from, whether it is ethically sourced, how much did we pay for the coffee and so on. So I feel like there is definitely a bigger market right now with COVID in place. Like we've seen so many independent coffee shops opened in the past five years. Like it's definitely growing. And then when the shutdown happened, we see a lot of them close, which is really, really sad. But I think in the past one year, when the city started reopening again, some of them came back stronger than before. Some of them were able to get a lot of fundings and was opening up a lot of coffee shops. So I'm hopeful we're definitely coming back. We're a very strong community and the market is definitely there. Where is New York in terms of restrictions on trading? Is it sort of completely open at the moment? 
I think it's very similar to the rest of the world as well, like in terms of trading and also getting supplies, coffees into the roastery. It's getting better, but coffee sometimes gets stuck somewhere for like six months. I think business owners, coffee shops right now are not only dealing with like supply issue, we're also dealing with a lot of like other stuff, like maybe equipment that you're using, all the back end delay, let's say your espresso machine broke down, the parts are not coming in on time. Okay, so there's, there's some headwinds or limitations on the actual coffee product, equipment, staffing? Massive, massive problem. Um, there was one point of our time where we just turn on our Instagram account and see like every single coffee shop that we know are hiring, are looking for people. And every single baristas that we know are like working crazy hours. So it's also a struggle for us in Coffee Project. Yeah. We are just trying our best. And thankfully, we managed to pivot and have a lot of barista friends and help us when we really need a barista. So maybe because we are already in the community and doing some work in the community, so it is easier for us to say like, hey, we need some baristas to cover on this shift. And these are people who are no longer doing barista work, but they are coming in to help us out for this time being so that we can find the actual people to come in and do the work. So on the upside, are there more venues to rent now and have rents come down? We definitely see a lot of places out for rent maybe three to four months ago. And I think people see or maybe people who are in the business industry can see the potential And now it's getting harder to actually rent a place. Not only that rent did not come down, but people are renting to businesses who can pay more money for the location. So is that the larger chains that are able to now take more sites or or is it well-organized specialty operators? At the very beginning of the pandemic, up to maybe about a year ago, we definitely saw, you know, landlords who are willing to make deals. But in New York City, I would say we feel the change, like a pretty huge change since I would say May. Yeah, I think so. Like around May, things are starting to pick up a lot. And people start to like, oh, maybe I can rent a few more space, even if I don't get it open up within this year, it is still going to be way better than renting next year because now every single permits that you're getting to build out or like construction takes twice the time from last year. So it's not going to be happening like, oh, I'm going to sign a lease today and then I'm going to be open in three months later. Not going to happen in New York City, at least for another six months time. So... Because of that, I guess it's a good thing, you know, the businesses are coming back, people are coming back, but it also means that people who have more funding right now are able to take up more of those spaces. Um, What we saw, at least in New York City, is uh, there are big operators who are very well-funded, corporates who gave up certain spaces, I think, who weren't generating a lot of income for them. And then they're taking up like better locations right now in the city. So that at least is what, you know, it's been something that we've been observing. And also, I guess, like some Smaller companies who are well-organized are also able to take out, you know, quite a few spaces in the city. However, you know, the impact of COVID, it's still there. There are still a lot of empty shops out there. You will walk down 
and say Fifth Avenue, you know, like in the past, it, it's it's packed, it's busy. Soho in the past was packed and busy, and now you'll see, you know, quite a few empty storefronts still. What's the footfall like now in New York? You know, we hear that there's a lot of working from home. I would say, based on what we're observing, probably about 60-70% back in terms of food traffic. Not even there, I would say. We're definitely not seeing a lot of tourists yet. A lot of offices are still working from home or right now some of them transitioned into some sort of a hybrid where they'll have you know people in like two three days in a week for us i think it really depends on where the location of the shop is at so like for example some of our locations are in the residential area then we see a pretty standard monday to sunday kind of traffic like there's no quiet days. Areas where it's a little bit more closer to like Manhattan, like our Chelsea location, it's actually busier on the weekday, like from Monday to Friday. And it died down a little bit on Saturday and Sunday. Maybe people started like going out of town. Uh, we just had a Thanksgiving break like a couple of days ago. And it's probably the slowest time I've seen ever since we started Coffee Project New York. A lot of people are going out of town and then we don't get people come in and visit. Fascinating. So is there more room for growth in the coffee industry in New York City? I think there's always room for growth, you know, the coffee industry, regardless of where it's at. Not only the growth is like what Kalina mentioned, it is also specialty coffee in terms of culturally, it's also evolving. Think about like people who are serving specialty coffee, but like it's Vietnamese coffee, like they're just solely doing Vietnamese coffee or Yemenese coffee. So these are like really popping and growing a lot in New York City. So this is one of the things that I'm really excited to see because now we're not only talking about specialty coffee like Coffee Project New York, we're talking about specialty coffee that involves a lot of brewing culture, like e-break or like the Vietnamese fin. So I'm really excited about this. Wow. Thanks so much, uh, Sam and Kalina, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thanks for having us, Jeff. There's a lot to be hopeful about after speaking with Chai Sum and Kalina. For example, coffee consumption at cafes in the city is still strong, despite the tourist numbers being so low. Also, competition for leases now appears to be very fierce, suggesting that many coffee shop operators are bullish about the future. To close out, we're speaking with Caroline Bell, co-founder and CEO of Cafe Grumpy. She and her business partner opened their doors in 2005 in Brooklyn and now have 12 locations, a roastery, and a ready-to-drink beverage offering. Welcome, Caroline. Thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thanks for thinking of us. I wonder if you could paint a picture of what the New York specialty coffee scene was like 16 years ago, back in 2005. Well, I remember after we opened, there was a New York Times article that came out and we were in it and we were so excited. And it was, I think it was us, like, give me coffee and Ninth Street Espresso. That was it in New York. You know, that when a coffee shop would open, like everyone who was in coffee would go to visit that store and try the espresso and talk to the baristas. So that I feel has changed a little bit because now obviously it's a little more convenient. There's coffee shops all over the place. So you might pick your favorite stop on your way to work or your favorite place in your neighborhood. So the other thing that might have changed over the years is the whole staffing thing. How has that changed since your early days and and where is it now? In the beginning, 
Chris and I were working behind the bar together and then we started slow hiring one or two people. So it was a little bit kind of friends hanging out, making coffee. Mm. And, you know, we never really had store managers. And as we grew, obviously, we had to put more systems in place and have managers for the store and hire more people. Before the pandemic started, we had over 70 staff, um, 70 baristas working for us. So we've always tried to be competitive with our pay and our benefits. So that really hasn't changed too much. I think just the stress that baristas are under now, it's not like, does my latte art look good? It's like, you know, is this person going to cough at me? And as I'm taking their orders type things. Now I feel like the pressures for the staff are more related to the environment and less about like how they're making their coffee. And the pay levels, they had to rise to $15 an hour at one point. Is that where pay levels for baristas have stayed? I mean, I think we were paying higher than what minimum wages were for mm. quite a while. Um, right now, like I'll tell you that we start our baristas at 18 an hour and then they get tips and benefits. But I feel like... For us, the paying the wages and things, that's the least of our problems. I think it's more about just keeping people like okay at work and really just being adaptable to if we have to close the store because it's slow or there's someone out sick, things like that, just being flexible with the staff. And if someone has a separate job or they're in school, just really being more mindful of what people are going through in their lives outside of the coffee shop. I think it's more about staffing challenges, just, just being very yeah. like caring and aware yeah, and, and less about like the compensation in a strange way, because yeah. I think people are, no matter what they get paid, they want to feel like happy and okay at work. We actually started, um, everyone could get a Headspace app subscription, which helps with that, you know, has like meditation and yoga and things like that, because that's definitely important to keep people, you know, feeling okay in, in these challenging times. It's interesting. That sort of level of anxiety seems to be incredibly high in New York. And, and, and perhaps it's um, the nature of New York being such a densely populated and such a hectic city. You know, I think what we've seen mm -hmm. in sort of London is a lot more movement out into the suburbs. But um, it's where people visit coffee shops has changed a little bit in other cities, especially our city here in London. Is mm -hmm. New York sort of midtown and just a paint a picture of what it looks like compared to what it was a couple of years ago, is it considerably quiet to what it was in terms of the volumes of traffic through Grand Central? And Yeah, what you said about in London, you know, the suburbs being busier definitely is here too. I mean, during the pandemic, our stores in Brooklyn, they're much more steady than the stores in Manhattan because people are just simply working from home and going to whatever stores closest to them. So our location, for example, in the financial district is probably at this point our slowest store. Mm. And you mentioned Grand Central. That's definitely down a lot. And I think it'll take a little bit of time for that to ramp back up because that store was so busy before this happened. And you see more people opening stores in the suburbs or mm. opening drive throughs now to kind of take advantage of that. Oh, yeah. So drive throughs in New York. Wow. Well, I mean, out like yeah, in yeah. New Jersey or wherever. Yeah, okay. I think it's like the kind of thing people are thinking about in specialty coffee right now is like, what can we do? Yeah. <laughs> but ready to drink, you added a, a supermarket range of cold brew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we had it in bottles, like plastic bottles, and we launched during the pandemic. We changed to a Tetra Pak, so it was easier to ship. It doesn't have to be stored cold. And at that time, we actually started working with the new distributors. So that was good to get that product out there. So that's something we're looking to expand. You know, making it easier for people to drink our coffee 
no matter where they live or where they might have moved to or send our coffee to their friends and things like that. Just kind of thinking of ways to get it, the coffee out there, even if you can't visit one of our cafes. And just finally, um, is there anything else that you might have spotted? Could be any new entrants, new formats, anything you think is going to be part of the New York coffee scene anytime soon? Seems to be that there's a lot of money going into coffee and backing a lot of big investments in coffee. And so I think it is making an environment that is a little more challenging for like the mom and pop type shops, Yeah. which even though we have 12 locations, I consider us still that since it's, you know, it's just uh, two of us. So I think there's going to be, you know, a lot of more people opening, you know, 50, 60 yep. locations wherever they can and trying to be competitive with a lot of money behind them. So mm. I think that will be challenging for the smaller businesses. Um, and especially now with, you know, the government had this rescue plan yep. that was a like restaurant revitalization fund. And basically only a third of the applicants got money. So you have like one business on a, one side of a street that might've gotten like $500,000 on the business across the street got zero dollars. So the restaurant association is trying to get and independent restaurants are trying to get the government to replenish this thing so that everyone, you know, gets a fair share. It's almost like the government picked who's going to win, who's going to lose in this thing. Mm. So outside of that, that's a big challenge for independent businesses that don't have backers because they can't expand so quickly. You know, everyone's kind of raised prices. Mm. So I think New York, I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I think there are going to be a lot of people trying to open a lot of locations with big backers. And then Mm -hmm. I think the smaller businesses are going to be struggling a little bit. Mm. Um, And then it's just kind of up to the consumer. So (laughs) we'll see. Fascinating. Caroline, thanks for taking the time to join us on Fifth Wave. Okay, well, thanks for having me and thanks for the interesting question. With the arrival of specialty coffee chains with large financial backing, the early entrants that grew organically in New York, the mum and pop shops, are going to be under increasing pressure to stay afloat. Taking a step back, this look at New York City is showing us that specialty coffee is growing up. The industry has never been bigger nor more competitive. And I look forward to revisiting this city again on Fifth Wave to get another glimpse into where we are as a specialty coffee industry. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to The Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts and we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed this show. Follow us on Instagram, Fifth Wave Coffee. That's the number five followed by TH Wave Coffee. Tell us what topics are important to you so we can make the show more relevant to you and to your business. This episode was produced at the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And for this week's song from the Coffee Music Project, I leave you with Katie Kidmaster with a great song inspired by coffee called Friends. And until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. <laughs>